Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got George Hammer, Chief Content Officer at IBM. Today on the show, George and I talk about his organization at IBM, which is fairly unique in the fact that he manages roughly around 1,500 content producers all around the globe. We talk about whether he feels like he embodies other companies that are bringing you know, and building their own in-house agency function and why he thinks that that's absolutely not what he's doing. And we talk about things that he's involved with, like the ANA CMO Growth Initiative or Growth Council, I should say, and many, many other things. I hope you enjoy this show with George Hammer of IBM. Well, George, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, let's, I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to start with your background, where you started your career and what was the path to, you know, essentially chief content officer at IBM? Yeah. So I started my career in consulting and I really didn't feel like I was doing what I was meant to be doing. I was kind of a, a middle child, curious, loved to ask questions, loved to tell stories. And so I just one day I stumbled into Second City, kind of out of a bet, and auditioned and made it into the conservatory program. So I did the training and performing for about seven or eight years in, in around various places in Chicago. At the same time, I kind of was hedging my bet. Uh, and so I went back to grad school, at University of Chicago, got my MBA, 
and participate in a new business case competition. We did pretty well there, got some investors interested and raised money. And I launched a startup. It was called Apple Batch. It was a LinkedIn, but for teachers, K through 12th grade teachers, because teachers change jobs every two years, but none of them knew or were interested in LinkedIn. And it was good. We grew to 90,000 teachers, the largest teacher networking platform of its time. And this was really when I first started leading a creative team. I had a designers, writers, social media team. We were on YouTube and Twitter before they were like even big and almost everything you posted worked. It was a good, it was a good time. But I also, because it was a startup, I had my own money into it. And so I was so particular about using data to optimize everything we do from the colors of buttons to the the kinds of creative, the, the stories we write. I was, every dollar spent to acquire a user was part of that was coming out of my own pocket. So I learned creative through improvising and data. And really that kind of helped form my career. The, the credit crisis hit. So we sold that uh, technology off and I went over to an agency, Mindshare at the time. And I enjoyed my time at the agency. I found it great to tell stories on behalf of brands. But one of the things I was really struggling with was the majority of the discussion that we would have with clients was around reach and frequency. And to me, what's inside the impression matters more than just chasing audiences, which is if you think about what reach times frequency is, it's just chasing people around the internet. (laughs) And so I wanted to really focus on the creative. There was, I went to Indiana for undergrad. There was another Indiana grad who was running digital at Discovery Channel, Discovery Communications. Mm. And I, you know, met him up for a coffee and he brought me on and I was leading the digital content creative marketing team for discovery across our properties. And that's when I really got to do some awesome things like around Shark Week and Shark Cameras and working on developing the first after show for Deadliest Catch and really figuring out how to build audiences using content on digital platforms when content was the value proposition, not like we were trying to use content to sell something else. And that was an awesome experience. Loved it. Just I was living in Chicago and Discovery moved their operations to Maryland and New York. And I had used the opportunity to, to decide if, hey, I'm going to go to New York. Like, what do I really want to do? And I loved working for Discovery. I'd go work there again. But at the time, they were very TV first platform. And I really wanted to think digital first. So I went to Digitas and which I think was one of the best agencies in the world for digital first thinking. And it was a great experience. I got to lead at the beginning, it was called Samoko, social mobile content. It was kind of like the new things, right? These new platforms, how do we tell stories on them? And then eventually just became called content because we should just tell stories and tailor them to wherever the people are. And, you know, that was a great experience. I had about 40 clients around the U.S., everything from uh, doing stuff for Lego and GE to HP Enterprises and Accenture to PlayStation, Taco Bell. I mean, we had all sorts of clients and we were doing great work. But one of the things that's that was eating at me was that 90% of our best ideas never made it to market. Right. And I f- wanted to belong to something and help build it over time. And I felt like if I was really going to make an impact in this world, going brand side, where I had at least the opportunity to fight for my great ideas inside of a company and help build the company to transform it and turn it into a great storyteller, I felt like this was the best side to be. And while all the agencies and media companies launching studios and all this other stuff kind of shakes out rather than trying to be super worried about that my strategy was to go to a brand side figure out 
how to tell what are the best ideas and then figure out which is the best partner and creation model given the idea and be a little more, take a little bit of a more marketplace view. Sometimes we'll do it ourselves. Sometimes we use agencies. Sometimes we use media companies. Sometimes we might use directly a production company. But that we are diverse in our creation model because we allow the idea and the talent to dictate which way we go. Hmm. Well, there seems to be a trend in companies pulling, you know, either building inside agents, internal agencies, or bringing work in-house. Do you feel like you, you know, in your current role at IBM, do you embody that trend? And how do you think about that trend? <laughs> I don't know, know why anyone would want to mimic a business model that is not exactly thriving, right? So all, all, agency, <laughs> all agencies are trying to figure out how to evolve to be successful. So my opinion is, no, we are not trying to build an internal agency because we're trying to build something that works for IBM. Mm. And to just pick up a same model, like the exact same agency model with the speed they operate, the cost structure, the types of talent, and just pull it in-house, you're going to end up with the same results. Now, for some people, that's good. They like the results their agencies are doing, and it's just a pure cost arbitrage play. But I believe that we can actually do better. And so for me, uh, no, we're not building an in-house agency. And I think if you just simply think about that, then you're missing the opportunity to do something bigger and greater. And there are all sorts of opportunities that are unlocked when you have an IBMer sitting next to an IBMer working together to make something. And those opportunities, I feel like we're trying to explore. So we don't we don't call ourselves in-house agency. We just I'm branding the team IBM Originals because we need to own the original idea, and because no one has a better understanding of the audience and the challenges than the people who are here at IBM that live and breathe, you know, everything we do. And so that's kind of the the part of the funnel that we're trying to own and take more ownership of, and using our partners whether internally, meaning we either make it ourselves or externally, to help us along the journey and not say that we're going to be an agency to replace everyone. You've been at this. You've been at IBM for about two years, I think, mm -hmm. if I read correctly on LinkedIn. Can you remember back to, like, say, your first 100 days or first few months, whatever makes the most sense, and where did you start? Because I'm assuming that this was kind of an entirely new endeavor. Yeah, I started by trying not to assume I had any of the right answers. So I actually did 100 interviews in 30 days, did talk to so many people that I actually got pneumonia and bronchitis from traveling and talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, formulated a point of view after that. And even it's interesting because my experience and gut on what I thought I was going to do versus what we ended up doing, because there's a big difference on what works externally and what works inside an IBM, inside a brand. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to tailor the strategy as much as possible, but my approach has always been to try to get as much right as possible, but be more agile and fail fast and keep iterating. So that's what we've done. We've made some mistakes, but overall, I really think that we are moving in the right direction. Got it. Is there any way to characterize some of those differences, you know, in terms of what you think would work or what works externally versus what is working for you internally now? Yeah, sure. So one of the first things I did was here was I realized I want to have a great understanding of what's happening in content. And so we need to have great content analytics. I, using my experience and knowledge from Digitas, knew great content analytics partners out there and we hired one. but. IBM is such a big, complex company that it's not as 
it's not as easy as just hiring with whom you think is best in breed and saying, let's start using it. It's much more complicated to figure out like how all of our technology connects from this from the sales all the way back up to the advertising server and impression. So we are a company of complex ecosystems of technologies and many of them that we build. And so my lesson learned there was we actually are a software company with a lot of developers and data scientists in-house. Let's use what we're good at. And we actually ended up building our own content analytics dashboard and system after the initial partnership didn't integrate and work. And so, you know, I think that's, uh, I sometimes going for speed and what you know, you kind of have to check your gut sometimes and say, what is actually going to work inside the existing systems that are in place? It's really hard to, to change the whole company at once. It's better right. to, to get some results first and then you can move it over time. Got it. I'm thinking about IBM content, like, you know, just how broad and expansive that could be. How do you describe what it is your domain is inside IBM? And can you give us a little definition of how you define content? It means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Yeah. So I, I think there's a false narrative in the marketplace of content versus ads, good versus evil. In the end, every touch point we have with an audience is an impression. And so we should try to figure out how to make that impression as great as possible that someone actually wants to spend time with so much that they would actually pay for spending time with us versus paying for us to go away, which is the Netflix model, right? So I look at it as trying to figure out through the whole, all the touch points we have with audiences, trying to figure out how to add value and deliver something that matters to that audience, something that still also matters to the brand. We're not in the business of just delivering content for the sake of it. And then also matters to the world because if you Google anything we do, there's probably 10 or 30 or 100 people who've delivered a similar piece of content. So we really need to focus on not just making content, but making it unique and different and better than everyone else. And so those are the, the three criteria we look at whenever we decide on what goes in the impression. I collaborate with people all around IBM because content is made by Everyone made by salespeople, made by a references team, made by an advertising team. We have multiple teams. And so we built a guild of all those teams to talk and collaborate and figure out together, how do we become the best brand storyteller in the world? And that's our mission is not to try to centralize everything and say that we're going to come in and control content, but how do we lead content? And this guild of creators forward, and how do we create demonstrations of greats so of people know what it looks like and want more of it? And that's why we launched here at IBM what we call the Great Content Gallery, which didn't exist, which is just a curation of the best content in and around IBM all the time for people to steal and reuse, but also to inspire them to do more stuff like it. Because before that, people would just create what they thought is great. But this way, people get to see what our audience thinks is great and gets to inspire to make more stuff in that realm. Interesting. What's the profile of a content marketer at IBM? I mean, somebody on your team, what are the types of people? Yeah, so my team, so we have yeah. business units, we have yeah. my central team, mm -hmm. and then we have people in geos, and then we have people in our production company. So IBM is about 10 or 15 different business units. In each of those business units, we have what are thought of like, what well, which were originally content marketers, we evolved them to be more content directors, content leaders, creative champions, because I think content marketer is a word that doesn't really describe what we should be doing. Our job is not just to take what someone gives us and market it. Our job is to 
own the impression to champion the great content and direct the content and then figure out how to get that content into the right audience's hands. So I pivoted the team away from content marketing to more content directing and in the business units. And then so in the geographies, that team really works on figuring out how to augment the worldwide stories so that they're more relevant to their local audience and then tell derivative stories off of it. And so there's more content hybrids there because they're people who are have to wear many hats because in the geo teams, they're not nearly as big as the worldwide teams. And then we have around the world, we have what could be maybe the large, the world's largest brand production company. You know, we're in Japan, China, Bucharest, Bratislava, Dublin. I mean, it's all over the world. And our team produces about half of the content for IBM, everything from banner ads to articles to videos to commercials, basically, that, that run as pre-roll on the web. Pretty much everything except for the TV and billboards and some of the above-the-line advertising you, you see. So that is the ecosystem of content creators. And so the people at the worldwide team, the content directors, they lead the idea. They decide on who to best work with in order to create that idea. And when they decide that that is our internal production shop, then they work with them. If they decide it's an agency, they work with them. And then we also have an ecosystem of media uh, studio partnerships and external production company partnerships as well. Got it. Got it. Do you still work with outside partners? It sounds like you, you produce about 50%. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing you do. Yeah, yeah, we have to. And I think it will always be that way. Uh, a couple reasons why is people make great content. And so... Sometimes the great directors, the great talent, the great writers we want sit in production companies and agencies, sit outside of IBM. So we're always hunting for the best person to help us make content. So we need to have a great ecosystem of partners to do that. Also, when you're inside of IBM, you're making a lot of IBM stuff. I think the value of agencies is to get... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The talent that we're working on other accounts outside of B2B, outside of technology, who maybe worked on other accounts for the last couple of years, and then we get to bring them on our account to bring fresh perspective and thinking and innovation. So I think that if the external marketplace focused on that, which is like rotating their talent on accounts, focusing on being the tip of the spear when it comes to innovation, not focused so much on trying to be everything to everyone and, and maximizing revenue, but maximizing the relationship and being unique because I don't think anyone's really going to be using external partners for pure staff augmentation or for more of the always on content a couple of years from now. But there is a great 
purpose and role all of those external agencies and media companies can play from a talent perspective that will make them not just relevant, but like essential to a brand success. So you've got all of these various folks and collaborators all around the globe, literally, you know, how do you manage a team that that one is that diverse and that distributed? Are there any philosophies or any approaches that you've come to utilize, I guess? Yeah. Well, I, I am not going to give away our whole org yeah, system yeah. because that because I think it's actually a differentiator for us, which kind of is leading to better results. But I will say that our mantra as a team and company has been the same, and it has caught on around the company, which is make less matter more. And before we kind of all adopted this, the KPI was output, how much you're making based upon answering a brief or based upon your time utilization. And people don't want to hear from us all the time. And that was something that we had to kind of get comfortable with and understand that the goal of content of marketing is not to replicate what is necessarily the media company model, which is like to be a lifestyle entertainment brand. You're in someone's life all the time and providing value every single day with it, with multiple impressions. I think we need to, to say, let's not try to be a brand publisher because the publishing model of just delivering assets and creating quantity and being this thing that is creating tons of content isn't working either, right? Publishers like are trying to figure out how to evolve their models. So we said, let's focus on how do we minimize the number of impressions we provide so that we're only providing the stories that matter, not provide 50 things. But what if we were only going to do five or 10 things, whatever the number is of those right a number of things that we say that we're not going to make something unless it actually matters to the audience and provides value. And so if you start thinking like that, we're able to spend the same amount of money, but against fewer impressions, make those fewer things bigger, better. And we're able to actually get more ROI, more benefit, because we're maximizing our relationship with the audience, which mm-hmm. is essentially how you sell stuff. And we're by minimizing the amount of content to only the stuff that matters. Mm-hmm. And so everyone is along the same mantra of make less matter more. And we have the same, we have a story filter against it, which we look at every piece of content. We have our when we green light briefs and content, we use that same mantra. And it's, I think it's very different than what a lot of people are doing and what even I sometimes preached when I was at an agency, which is we, your brand needs to be alive and always on and produce hundreds of impressions for audiences. I think that needs we need to find fewer things and act almost like a software company and be agile and iterate those few things to keep getting better and better and better. So if we only make 10 things, but you have the same amount of time and the same amount of budget, you get the opportunity to make it better and then keep iterating it till it gets better, better, and better. That's what we do. We operate on two-week iteration cycles to constantly rework the content and get it better. That's cool. That's very cool. What's been the results today? What are you most proud of? Yeah, a few things. Well, I'm most proud of that we've built such a big, awesome team in such a short period of time. I just came back last night. I just got back from Raleigh visiting the team down there. And we did a gallery opening, which we have actually a physical gallery of our great content. And the people come up who are the creators and they tell the stories of their work and to see how the awesome work people are doing and the pride they have in their work and to see that they're making stuff with so many different types of creation models. But yet, no matter what the creation model, 
the outcome is still the same, which is great stuff that audience loves. That's what, you know, touches my heart the most. And to see that we're making this place a great place to work for creators. And then we're also making better content for people. So I think culturally, we're, we're building this notion of IBM Originals and creativity in IBM and owning the story versus outsourcing it. The other aspect of our organization model, our briefs, our system we put in place is working too. So we did an audit of five campaigns and content that went through this model that we've set up in our org model, and then five that didn't. And the results were 92% higher for the stuff that actually went through the pre-post test of the went through the new model. And it just goes to show that our approach to client centricity and kind of taking more ownership of the audience experience, our approach of agility and making fewer stuff that matters more and constantly iterating it. And our approach of IBMers working side by side with, with our partners, whether internal or external, it works. So our plan is to continue to do it more and more at scale and try to figure out how to constantly make stuff better and better. That's great. That's great. Well, one of the things that caught my eye and actually what led to this interview was your work with Content Cantina, which I noticed on LinkedIn and then started watching them, uh, these little segments and realized, hey, this isn't really for me. It's for all the IBMers out there, but yet it's public. So can you tell listeners a little bit about what Content Cantina is? just in your own words? Sure. This is one of my lessons learned from IBM. My first year at IBM, I spent trying to communicate to IBMers everywhere, which there's 5,000 of them in marketing, right? And then my team on the content team is like 1,500 people. So trying to reach these people all around the world and help educate them, inspire them, and evolve our craft using IBM channels was not effective. I would create an, a blog on our internal IBM site and it might, get, it might have gotten 50 views. I would host a webinar, and you might get 100 people dialing in. People all are treating our people just like I would treat any other audience because our IBMers have the same problem, which is they don't have a lot of attention. They're being bombarded by content. So we decided to treat it as if it was a campaign for helping IBMers evolve the content craft. And what, what would we do differently? And so we decided to test, what if we used external channels as an education source versus our internal ones? And can we reach more IBMers? And can we do so in a, a way, practice? can we practice what we preach? So we created the Content Cantina because it was something authentic to me, which was we wanted to talk about best practices and content and how we need to evolve. But we didn't want to just have purely talking head videos. And we wanted to do it in a fun way that stands out in your newsfeed. So for me, I love Star Wars. I love Legos. We put the two together and said, let's build a giant Star Wars Lego set and then <laughs> shoot uh, in the content cantina. And the results were rather, you know, we're getting five to 20,000 views. And of that, the IBMers each episode is about three to 5,000. So I'm able to reach my audience and pique their interests. And it goes to our internet site where they can actually read formal points of view on how to be a better content creator. Mm. So if an episode is about CTAs, we have fun talking about CTAs in the cantina, but then on our site are actual authored, published points of view on how to use CTAs to make content more effective and better. That's our model. And then we also then host Ask Me Anythings internally for people if they want to go deeper on any of those subjects. But if, I think 
If we treat internal communications and training similar to we treat any other campaign for hearts and minds, for us at least, it's been more impactful and effective. Got it. Got it. Well, George, I know you're part of the CMO Growth Council, or at least I believe so with the ANA. And from an outsider's perspective, it's kind of hard to understand what's going on in that. And I wondered if you could just share your experience, what you've experienced so far being a part of that. Sure. I think if you start with the question on what are brands' roles in the world, I think brands play an important role in the world, especially when it comes to information, society, and just helping business and humanity move forward. And so the CMO Growth Council is about how do we work together to grow the pie for everyone? Because we know that when we do that, it leads to better results. And so we focus on a few key themes. One is around how can brands act more customer-centric? Because when we do that, it leads to a better experience for people and it leads to better results for brands. And we thought about how does can brands play a bigger role in some of the things that are impacting society today as well. And we all have our own issues that we attack, but what if we all huddled around a, a few big ones and worked together? Might we make a bigger impact? And we also looked at data because it's hot right now. People want to know that the value exchange, when they spend time with us, that we're using their information correctly. And also, as marketing is evolving to become part data science, part creative, you know, we're overwhelmed with people promising the world when it comes to technology. Everyone's saying, and everyone has different tech stacks. So how can we as brands work together to share best practices and learnings so that we can have an effective point of view on a tech stack for brands. So there are some of these big initiatives that we're looking at that, that says that the brands have a role to play in the world. If we work together, we make the world a better place for people. And that leads to a better experience for people. That leads to a better results for brands. And it's been a great experience to just sit there with 200 CMOs when I, at the ANA and just share stories because none of us have the answers today, but we are learning from each other and we literally worked shop together for two days to try to figure out how to bring our learnings and best practices together. And I don't believe that there, for some of these things, there may not be a an answer, a playbook, a, the same solution that works for all. But if, if we at least have more visibility into what we're doing and best practices, then we can at least have knowledge of what's happening outside and then decide whether that person's best practice is relevant and can work for each of us individually. So that's the mission. I think it's the right mission, the right people, and it definitely is the right time in order to band together to do something impactful. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to turn the gears a little bit and focus on you as an individual. And I love asking this question, which is, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you've become? I would say, and I touched upon it briefly, but as a middle child, I often, I was competitive and I would try to be perfect and win. And I think going through improv training and performance, I learned a lot about failure and not trying to win all the time, but how collectively we work together to win. And that improvising and imperfection and agility and embracing failure has kind of made, has really shaped how I think about everything. And so everyone always says, oh, 80-20, you know, but when it comes down to it, most people are afraid to be just 80-20. And I do think that being on stage and it's, and most of the time, sometimes having people laugh and you end up making something great and <laughs> sometimes having a 
drastic failures and looking <laughs> ridiculous. I think I think that experience has made me not afraid to really take risks and not worried so much about being perfect, but just having really good intentions and having really good partnerships and then iterating until we get it to a place that I'm really happy about. Like it. Like it. That's a really good analysis of, of improv and, and its ability to impact. Interesting. Well, I know marketers tend to be students of the business. Are there any brands or companies or causes other than IBM that you look to or you, you take notice of? Yeah, I get this question a lot. And I used to look externally a lot, but I find it creates too much mimicking. And this is why we have a challenge in our industry of if you pull the content or advertising from us and, and many of our competitors and you cover up the logo, you end up with a lot of stuff that looks similar. And I do think that we it's you have to be in the know and have your competitive intelligence, but I don't think we need to stare at it as much and overanalyze it because I really think groupthink is is one of the things that has haunted Hollywood, and that's why we see so many types of movies that they do that are the same, and starts to haunt the advertising industry as well. So I tend to look at things outside of I tend to put more emphasis on stuff outside of the advertising content world that on the brand side. So I take my team to museums, I take my team to music shows. The team's actually going to go to a movie theater, a little indie theater today and see a film. So we try to be inspired and about creative outside of just brands because that's really what's going to help us think differently. So I know it's it's not the perfect, it's probably not what you're hoping for, but I, I'd say that I, I don't think anyone in the B2B world has has mastered yet building as great relationships through content storytelling as maybe the B2C world. And I think the B2C world is trying to figure out how to evolve their storytelling so that people seek it out versus try to avoid it. And so overall, I don't want to spend too much time analyzing and trying to replicate things that I don't think have yet figured it out. I'm to me, I spend much more time doing stuff, prototyping, making stuff, testing a learning, and then trying to figure out where the data tells us to go versus trying to figure out some benchmark maybe tells me to go. Got it. No, that's very insightful. A last question for you. I know we're running short on time. What does the future of marketing look like? Yeah, I think the future of marketing has to be evolved from the traditional funnel from where we really worked, did a lot of, uh, spent most of our time on the awareness through acquisition funnel. And then we just kind of handed the experience off to product to other people. And if we're going to play a bigger role in people's lives, if we're going to add value to an audience, we almost need to think as if a startup would and think about how do they maximize the value throughout the whole lifetime with that customer, the lifetime value calculation. Mm -hmm. And so it shouldn't just be awareness to acquisition. It should be marketing needs to play a bigger role in actually crafting the messages in product, in chatbots, in store experiences, in everywhere that person goes to over the lifetime that we have them and to maximize the relationship over time. And I think of that as more like marketing as a service. If you think about it as a service and not as a, a means to acquire someone, then you approach every impression differently. You think about it as how does each impression either solve a need, want, or desire, or add is like a service to that person so that they would actually subscribe and pay 
to continue receiving my messages. Hmm. We might never get to the point where they actually do that, but right. you, you should think about that. Otherwise, literally, they're going to keep paying for us to go away or implementing ad blockers. And so, but I do think marketing, now that we start to own more of the data, we're starting to own more of the client relationship, we're starting to own more of the journey. As we do that, we have to take on a broader mission to own the contact points across the entire lifetime. And then to me, that then means we become marketing becomes a service and not just a thing that is an endpoint once someone acquires. Got it. Got it. Well, George, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.